0: All right, let me just give you a quick review from last week. Ultimately, where I'm headed with this whole thing, and I haven't had this conversation ever as a pastor, teacher, person at Church on the Street, really ever any place because I never really had a conviction from the Lord. The place we're heading is what is God's will for what we would call our money? Are we supposed to tithe? Are we supposed to whatever? There's there's lots and lots of disagreement in the church with regard to what we do with our money. So every time I sit down and start to put together this sermon that talks about what I think the Bible is teaching about what we do with our money, the Lord takes me someplace else. And I think that someplace else is to build a foundation so that we understand that the ultimate conversation about money is about that big relative to the picture that we see the bigger picture is about the heart. It, the bigger picture is about understanding who we are and what we're called to be in, and that we're citizens of the kingdom and we're not citizens of this world anymore. And as we get all that straight in our mind, then money is just another something that we use as a tool for God to uh, move forward his kingdom. OK, so last week um, we did that. We talked about being citizens of the kingdom and not citizens of the world. We talked about, and I don't know if I use these words, but we have to, as we're going through a transformation by the renewing of our minds, to have a different worldview. Now, worldview isn't a term that we we use all the time or we hear all the time, but it's literally what shapes how you perceive everything. Everything is shaped by your worldview. If you're uh, an American living in Michigan, you are shaped by so many cultural things that are very, very different than if you were an African you know in, in the bush someplace in Mozambique. Your perspective on everything is based upon your view of the world. For us, our view has to transition from what we know to what the Bible teaches us so that we can rightly represent the king who we're an ambassador for. So our worldview has to constantly change. That's a tough process because it's ingrained. We have been indoctrinated. As Americans, we're different than Europeans. As Americans, we're different than South Americans because our culture is different. And that's ingrained in us from our parents, the moment we're born, through our schooling and our, uh, the, the way movies are done. Everything we see works that. It's not all bad, but any part of it doesn't line up with the Bible can't be our perspective on the world okay we talked a little bit about the difference between being under grace and being under law right in the old testament covenant the old covenant god with his people they were under the law they had to follow and keep the law they did a terrible job of it just like we would do a terrible job of it but the law has not been abolished jesus came not to abolish but to fulfill the law so there are certain laws that still are intact other laws Jesus says, put them down. For example, you see Peter in the book of Acts has this vision. And in the vision, he sees this sheet coming down out of heaven. And there's all kinds of, it says four-legged animals and crawly things. And the angel or the angel of the Lord speaks to him. He says, eat it up. And he says, no, Lord, I've never ever put anything unclean in my mouth. And the, and the word of God comes to him and says, no longer. Anything that God says is okay, is okay. So in the old covenant, you can't have pork chops. In the new, you can. Now, you may not want to if they're not healthy, but the point is some things have actually changed as a result of moving from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Others haven't. And the two real easy ones for me are that make a good point for me here are adultery and murder. In the Old Covenant, if you actually commit murder, like somebody's alive and because of you now they're dead, that was the act. You're guilty of the sin of murder. In the New Covenant... Jesus says, if you get angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. So the standard is much higher. The same is true with adultery. If you commit the act of adultery, you're guilty. In the new covenant, what Jesus teaches is no. If you think about it, you're guilty. So the standard is higher, it appears, for the things that remain. And the old is not necessarily done away with, but fulfilled in Jesus. We read two scriptures, one from Ephesians and one from Romans, that spoke to being renewed in the spirit of your mind. That was the Ephesian scripture. And then being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That was the scripture in Romans chapter 12. So the the conscious effort when you pray, when you think, as you're challenged with different issues of life, is to see them through the lens of scripture as opposed to the lens of the world. And that's the transformation that's happening by the renewing of our minds, okay? All right, so as we go down that path, ultimately heading towards next week when we talk about what God's will is for the money that he's put in our pockets, the first point I want to make is that everything belongs to God, right? If you got it, God gave it to you. If you got it and it's bad, you might have got that on your own. But if you got it and it's good, right, every good thing and every perfect gift given is from the Father of lights. Hebrews something, I'll read it in a bit. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 29, Moses said to him, as soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be hail no longer that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. First Corinthians ten twenty six, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. So, I love it when you see a scripture in the Old Testament. One of the things I struggle with is is what made its way out of the Old Covenant and into the New Covenant and what didn't. There's still things that I struggle with and that I don't understand. But when you see a scripture in Exodus that Paul reaffirms in 1 Corinthians, you know that one made it, right? He owned it all in the Old Testament. He owns it all in the New Testament. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting for him, this, these next two scriptures I really want you to hear. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. So don't hang on the sufferings part, but for him, to him, and through him. Same statement in Romans chapter 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things through could be translated also as because of him so because of him for him it's all for him everything is for him he owns it all it's all his the people are his the trees are his the birds are his the water is his the the money in your wallet is his the money in your bank account your car it's all gods everything is god's James 1.17, I called it Hebrews, it's James. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from, slow down, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Everything that's good comes from God. God is only ever good. He doesn't, he's only ever good. It's interesting that, that they say there's no shifting shadow. James, when he writes this thing, what he's telling us there is really interesting because we're called to be the light of the world, right? A city on a hill. God could not sit under a shadow. There, He can never cast a shadow. So if there's a light source over here and God is standing where I'm standing, there's no shadow over here because he is light. In heaven, there won't be any need for the sun or the moon to light the skies, the word teaches us, because The light of God will light everything for us. He is absolute light, perfect in every way. If it's good or perfect and we have it, God gave it to us. So the first thing I want to establish is everything is God's. Is that enough scripture to do it? Okay, good. The second one then is we're called to be stewards. Those of us that are in the church, those of us that are uh, have confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in in our hearts that He is our Savior, the 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 full payment for the sin that separated us from God. We're called to be stewards, and a steward is someone whose responsibility is to care for somebody else's things, right? So, um, gosh, I should have thought of some good examples. You you probably have good examples in your mind. The government is a steward of the people in the United States of America, right? A government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Our government, although they don't typically seem to understand this, but but (laughs) I almost, no, I'm not going there. Um, Somebody poked the blue fish in the eye for me real quick. They They are stewards of our things, right? We have inalienable rights from God to life, Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you. The government's job is then to steward those things and make sure that that, that our rights aren't taken away from us. We are the stewards of God's things. 1 Peter 4.10 As each one has received a special gift, employ it, in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold or many or various graces of God. There is nobody who's part of the church. There's nobody that's part of the body of Christ that's void of a gift, that's void of something. I I remember one time I was praying and the Lord put this picture in my mind and and it was the weirdest thing because I, I don't get a lot of visual stuff when I pray, but I saw these Legos. And I thought I was just off on like a daydream. It's like, you know, whatever. I'm seeing Legos in my mind. My, my child wants out or something. And I started praying, Lord, is this just me, you know, drifting off when I'm praying? Or are you trying to tell me something? All of a sudden, I started to get these impressions. And, and what the Lord was showing me was that a Lego has got two sides. One side has an out part and one side has an empty part. And they're made so that the out part will fill the empty part. And what he wanted me to learn was that everyone has an out part and everyone has an in part and that the church, by his design, nobody has all the gifts and nobody has none of the gifts. Therefore, everybody has something that someone else needs and everyone has a need that somebody else can satisfy, right? Your gift is primarily for the edification and the building up of the church and then out to that edified church, out to the world so that they can see Jesus in us. So if the devil's got you thinking you have nothing to offer, that's a lie. Everyone has something to offer. Everyone has something to offer. And everyone has a need. See, if there was a person who had no need, they wouldn't come to church. And then the body, the, the Bible goes to great pains to describe the church as a body, right? So a disconnected thumb, right? If the thumb had everything it needed, it, it wouldn't bother with the rest of the body, So God doesn't give it everything it needs so that it will be connected to the body, so that it has fingers that will help it. The mouth can't feed itself without the hands to bring the food or the feet to walk it to the table, right? Everybody has something and you're to use it. It's all to be employed. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Let a man regard us in this manner. As servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found, or that one be found trustworthy. I I love that scripture because it speaks to a whole bunch of different things. Paul is saying, they've come into Corinth, or he's actually written this letter to the church in Corinth, and he says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. Y'all that you signed up for children's church, praise God, because you look like Jesus when you do that. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Mystery of God. The world would not believe that Teresa could get healed from her back. But we have seen so many miracles. We don't even need faith to believe that God heals today, right? We're stewards of these things. He's saying you're a steward of the mysteries of God. And what's required of stewards is that we be found trustworthy. That, that when God gives us something, he can trust that it's not just going to get locked up. Bill Johnson uses this term that the Holy Spirit is trapped inside unbelieving believers, So here he comes inside, and then nothing happens as a result of the Holy Spirit being in there. Nobody gets loved. Nobody gets healed. Nobody gets helped. Nobody gets encouraged. The devil gets your head so full of things that that the Holy Spirit's almost stuck inside a person who won't walk the way he's being prompted to walk. Everybody has a gift. He makes a really strong point of this stewardship in this next course of scripture I'm going to read you um it's called in the bible the parable not by the bible but the parable of the talents now I should have looked this up but a talent is a measure of something and it's a it's a big measure of either silver or gold it's it's a lot of value in a talent okay so this is Jesus now in the sermon on the mount he's or not in the sermon on the mount it's later in the book of Matthew but he's teaching on stewardship And he says, for it, it being the kingdom of heaven in this case, is like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. So here's this guy who's got tons and tons of stuff. He's about to go away. He's got people. Now, for for the purpose of the parable, he's God, right? And we're the slaves, right? We're not like his homeboys. He's not our co-pilot. He's the master, right? When we say, if you're going to be saved... You have to do two things. You have to believe, but you must also confess Jesus is Lord, right? Here's where God shows us that he's God and we're not, right? He's loving. He's awesome. He wants the very best for us. But we should not consider ourselves to be equal bros with God. He's God. We're a slave in the relationship, a son slave, right? A loved slave. But for this life in this world, that's the way it is. Okay. Okay. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me with five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So let's just stop here for a minute. They weren't given the same amount of talents. One was given five, one was given two. They both reproduced the same thing with the talents they were given. They doubled the amount that the master had given them care for, that they were stewarding on his behalf. And the reward was the same. He didn't say, well, you know, you're the, you're the better one, and you get the five, and you're the lesser one. We don't get to pick what God gives us. Again, we're a body. Everybody's different. Everybody's got a gift. Everybody's got a need. And we should be really happy with the two talents, or the one talent, or the five talents that God gives us. Scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. So, you know, if you want to be Rick Warren and have the care over twenty or 30,000 people, imagine what God requires of that man's life because he's going to be visible. He's going to be the one that's going to get on the TV shows and get asked the questions that are hard to answer, and he's going to have to stand for Jesus, right? Two talents, five talents. They were both commended because he gave them something and they did something with it. Now this guy that dug the hole. And the one who had... Who, and the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scath- scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one man, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the guy that was afraid, right? The guy that didn't go out and pray in the neighborhood, the guy that didn't go out and witness. Remember, if you are ashamed of me before men, Jesus says, I will be ashamed of you before my father. The one that took that talent and out of fear did nothing with it. He buried it in the ground. And When his time came, when he had to give an account to his master for what he had done with what that master had given him, he was rebuked. He was called wicked and lazy. Not just lazy, but wicked. That's the perspective that the Lord has when we don't take what he's given us and exercise it, employ it for the benefit of his kingdom. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to expound on something that probably doesn't need much explanation at all. It's pretty easy to understand that, that God really, really takes seriously that we do something with the stuff that he entrusts to us, right? The other interesting thing relative to our culture is in in the kind of liberal American way of thinking, they'd take the guy who had the 10 talents, right? And they'd say, take his five and give them to the poor guy with one that did nothing, right? Because that guy's got 10 and this guy's only got one, but he had five and earned the other five, right? So let's take those other five and let's give it to the guy with one. Now he has six and this guy has five, but it's okay because now everybody's got some talents. That's not the kingdom perspective. The kingdom perspective says, I'm going to take my resources and I'm going to plant them in the most productive place so that I get a greater return. And ultimately, what is the return? It's people. It's people. Okay. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. As stewards, if we understand that everything is God's, and the scripture teaches us that he's given us things to care for on his behalf, then we're to steward this earth, right? We're to steward his name, his character, and literally our very own, well, you know, I, I have it in my notes quoted, our own self. But even our own self isn't ours, right? God does not take from us free will. So you and I always get to choose. He will not overwhelm us. If we, if we choose not to, then we do not. If we choose to, then we do. But we have to understand that as disciples, not even us is ours anymore. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? I love this. Holy Spirit, if you ever wondered, you know, the guy says that Holy Spirit is inside of me. Well, here's where you see it in Scripture, that your body is a temple. There is no physical brick-and-mortar temple anymore. The temple is the church, the body of Christ, every stone being fitted together with Jesus as the cornerstone. The temple is you. The temple is me. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Here we go. And that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So this thing that's you, God owns it, and he's expecting you to steward it. It's not yours anymore. I know that's our tough teaching, and to some degree or another, most of the time we fail, or oftentimes we fail at at giving God everything. And, and, And grace says that that's okay. That we aren't perfect in everything that we do in serving God in every way. But it doesn't relieve us from understanding and committing in our hearts to get to the place of absolute surrender. His power, Matthew 10, 7 and 8. This is Jesus to his disciples as he sends them out for the very first time without him. And as you go preach oh there it is right there preach proclaim right it's not jesus it's the fellas as you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand and here's what he instructs them to do heal the sick raise the dead cleanse the lepers cast out demons freely you received freely give that's us raise the dead heal the sick proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand cast out the devils his witness Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? See, Israel was a conquered nation. They they would walk with God. They would obey God. They would get the blessing of God. They would wander away from God. They would start to disobey God. He taught them over and over again, Obey these commands of mine so that I can bless you. Disobey them, you get cursed blessing equals or obedience equals blessing disobedience equals curse they wander away from the lord curses would come down they'd get overtaken by this one and then overtaken by that one taken captive over to babylon they would return to the lord he would restore them to blessing they'd wander away again that's kind of the pattern of israel in the old testament that you see israel was waiting for the messiah jesus the messiah was prophesied all through their scriptures but see what they missed was they were expecting him to come as a literal conquering king as a guy who would come on a you know a horse with a big sword and he would chase rome out and they would be free they didn't understand the way the king was going to come and the way the kingdom was going to come so that's why they asked him that question they said Is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs, which the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. thought that was my phone. (laughs) Turns out I don't have my phone. We're to steward his witness literally people's perception as they see us when when we're on the street when we're in the restaurant when we're at the bus stop when we're in the grocery store we are always a witness for jesus we are his witness needs to look like him as a good steward his character therefore we are ambassadors of christ as though god were making an appeal through us we beg you on behalf of christ be reconciled to god an ambassador that doesn't rightly represent the country that has sent them, right? Remember, if you're saved, if you're born again, then you're no longer a citizen of this world. You're a resident of this world, but you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And you're called an ambassador here because you're sent to do the calling, the bidding of your kingdom in this place. Jesus was the most influential person that's ever walked the earth a function of his character unbending perfect to all the prophecies we're to steward his character the way he stewarded his character remember scripture says as the father sent me this is jesus speaking so i send you in the same way that he was sent we're sent that same way we're to steward his power we're to steward his witness we're to steward his character and we're to steward his us the way the scriptures teach us to. So the two things that I wanted to accomplish today, first you agreed with me, and that is that God owns everything. He 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 it, it talks in scripture. I should have I should have recited it for you, but it talks about that things are actually for our pleasure. That that that, that this world was created for our pleasure. We were created for his pleasure. So it's not that that God's standard for us is misery until we go to heaven it's not he he jesus came that we'd have life to the full abundant life but we have to have that abundant life in the context that the bible teaches us right so the first is that everything belongs to god and if we understand that it's his and he's put it in our pocket and we say lord what would you like me to do with it because i'm kind of thinking ice cream would be good right now it's okay to have ice cream unless he might tell you otherwise right the second thing is to understand that we're stewards. It's all his. He's given it into our care, and we're to care for it as if Jesus were here caring for it himself. Okay? Did I make that point all right? Okay, I'll make next week a lot easier. The last thing I want to share is this burden that I told you about. And, and honestly, when um, I got the note from Lori Z that said that she was so blessed that so many people had signed up to help in children's church, which has really been a stumbling block for us. We've really, you know, only kind of coming over the hump with regard to serving in that way. I almost thought about not sharing this, but I think I want to because I think it's from the Lord. So um, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, probably not the dumbest guy in the world. I am a guy committed to God's word. I, I literally do the very best that I can to try to understand what it's telling me from the perspective of how do I act. It's dramatically impacted my marriage. It's dramatically impacted my fatherhood, the way that I am a father to Annika now, even to Ryan and Joe, who are both grown men. It's it's dramatically changed my life in ways that are beyond my ability to explain to you. I couldn't articulate doing what the word teaches me to do, how different that's made, and different in a much better way. I read the word... And I look at the church, you know, I'm not looking at you right now. Just, you're just a little piece of that. And it makes me really nervous because many people in the church would hear that guy's question from the news thing and say, wow, you know, 63% of Americans feel like that same-sex marriage is okay. Are you going to change your perspective so that you're better aligned with the world? And, and I see a church that thinks about that. I mean, that shouldn't even occupy an, a tenth of a second space in our minds, not, not a fraction of a blink in our minds. But I see it doing that. I see, I see churches ordaining homosexual bishops. Honestly, I'm okay with ordaining a homosexual bishop if the homosexual bishop says, well, maybe I shouldn't be okay, I don't know. The issue is not the homosexuality. The issue is that it's sin, and they've chosen not to repent of that sin, not to seek repentance for that sin, but to expect God to just be okay with that sin, and then to be placed in a position where people are going to see them and understanding that, again, not talking about you, but much of the church will look to a leader. So as a pastor of church on the street, if I decided that it was okay to have a mistress... People would say, well, must be okay for me because the pastor's doing it. It's all right for me to do it. That person has to be at such a standard as a bishop, as a leader of leaders of leaders of the flock, of the shepherd's shepherd. The concern, the burden that I have is that the word is clear about what it means to be a disciple, but the church somehow thinks that it's okay to be different than that. I look at the Bible and I look at our church and honestly I mean I can only just see a little. I don't know what your lives are like so much when you leave here, you know, whether you got problems on your computer or or you don't or I don't know anything much. But when we ask for people to serve and we explain that as a Christian you don't have a life anymore and that that you're called to serve and Jesus said that he didn't even come to be served but to serve and then no one signs the piece of paper it makes me so nervous there's even parts of my own life uh, and this is the process of sanctification i hope i hope it's not just a function of disobedience but i see the word of god and sometimes and it always seems to be the sometime is always with my wife always with my wife is that my flesh will want to rise up and not be like jesus now, most often, honestly, most often, I, I can put it down and say, get behind me, Satan, and all that kind of stuff, but I don't see me always walking out what Scripture says. So my burden for you is that God has given you, to some extent or another, into my care. I pray for you all the time. If you've got a problem, it's my problem. It should be everybody's problem, and it, may, and it probably is. I mean, we make meals and we help each other out. But my burden is that you gotta hear God's word and you have to believe that it's true and then you have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform you. Otherwise, you're just a guy going for a walk. You're like, we've been witnessing to this guy. I thought he was gonna be in church today. His um, four people are still home in his family, one at college and he was giving us a price for some work he's gonna do at our house and, I said, people at church keep asking me. They're like, how come you got these four seats reserved and nobody can sit in these seats and nobody comes sit in them? I was trying to imply to him that, you know, I invited you to church, you should come. He didn't laugh either. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the conversation, you know, we got the bid for the work and everything. He said to me, you keep saying these two phrases and I have no idea what they mean. You keep saying saved and born again. Well, that was the start of the next hour and a half of his life. He's never going to get back. I promise you, that guy believes he's going to heaven. And maybe he is, I don't know. But he had no concept of what it meant to be born again. See, his perception was the world's perception. Hey, 63% think if I'm a good guy, I'm going to go to heaven. You think you should start teaching it that way? Because that's kind of how they want to hear it. No, the burden is to the truth. Because if it's not the truth, then when they stand before the Lord... Gosh, I had two scriptures I was going to read to you. Um, Will you put them up? The first one, I think, is... um, Matthew 7 they're probably both Matthew 7 see this is Jesus teaching he says enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it okay so anybody can walk down the wide path you know what I want to be a uh, I I feel like I'm picking on homosexuality. I honestly don't have a, a heart to pick on homosexuality. It's always just so much in, it's like the debate of the day kind of thing. But anybody can do that. Anybody can lie. God says liars won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. You walk down that wide path any way you want. It doesn't have boundaries. And the reason that God puts boundaries on the narrow path is because he wants you to get through the little gate because he wants you to spend eternity with him. That's my burden is that we have to grasp that he means business in his word. When he says that wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many, many, you've heard me tell the story about my aunt. I, I hope she's with the Lord. She passed away about a year ago, almost exactly. She said, Patrick, now that you're this, you know, you're a church guy, you're a pastor, do you believe that everybody's gonna go to heaven? I said, no. Matter of fact, I believe that most people aren't going to go to heaven. She said, Well Patrick, I can't believe that's true. God loves everybody. I said, I know it. He does well, then why wouldn't they all go to heaven? I said, because he's created a standard. He's created a way. The way is Jesus. And the ones that don't pick Jesus won't go. And I quoted her this scripture. I said, Aunt Emily, that tells me that only some, and not even most, are going to get to be with God. She wouldn't receive it from me because her worldview, her perspective, was different than the truth it's in the Bible. She's a sixty-three percent that wants everybody to go to heaven. God wants everybody to go to heaven, but not everybody's going to go. I don't even remember what my second scripture was. Can you pop it up there for me? Oh yeah. <laughs> Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I told you I, I've been saved ten times in you know my eleven years with the Lord because I had a little fear and trembling. Lord, are you, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I get in these thoughts and I'm, I'm acting a certain way. I just want to make sure you know that, that you're my Lord and I'm doing everything I can to serve you. And I do believe you're the full payment for my sins. I don't want to end this thing on, on a downer note, but I just want you to be somber and understand that the scripture is clear to what a disciple is, the perception in the world is different. And people are going to stand before the Lord. That's the other Matthew 7 scripture. It says, he's talking to these guys. He's he's kind of giving them this, this conversation that's going to happen in the future. And Jesus says, and on that day, many will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many miracles in your name? And I think the third thing is cast out demons in your name. And Jesus' response to them is going to be, I never knew you. And at that point, at that very point in time when they've been told they aren't going to go to heaven and they're trying to, to convince God that they should go to heaven, they have walked one step past the point where there's any hope that they'll ever be in heaven because you can't fix it then. It's only now. It's only now. Well, this could make talking about money easy next week. <laughs> That's my burden. I smile, you smile, thank you my burden is that we have to understand the call and it's not what the world thinks that guy sitting on my couch he was like somebody had punched him in the stomach because he really thought a certain thing but his his thinking was in ignorance not not, you know ignorance just means he doesn't know And now he knows right really hoped he'd be here this morning (laughs) all right give me just a second Well, I got nothing, so I guess we're done. Father, thank you so very much for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you that you know best. Father, I pray that each and every one of us, each and every one of us would be salt and light in this world, that each and every one of us would truly understand what an honor it is to serve you and that we've traded this life for the next one. and That's the best trade we'll ever make. Lord, I pray that you balance this message with the scriptures at the beginning that talk about love. I pray, Lord, that you balance this message with people's understanding that you're the best ever, Father, that you're not an ogre, that you're not evil, but that you have a standard and that you don't violate your standard. I imagine that love must, establish, must have established your standard, but even love doesn't violate your standard because you sent Jesus to the world that you loved when the world hated you. For every person that hates you today, you love them, Lord. I pray that we will walk in that same love, first with each other, next with the world. All the praise all the glory, all the honor, all the crowns down at your feet, Lord Jesus. I pray you bless these people. Bless them in every way they can imagine, Lord. Best way, bless them that they would know you more. You think it was the Holy Spirit that just said, Rance, I forgot to take the offering again. (laughs) So Lord, as we take this offering this morning, we should have a designated offering taker somebody who has a job to take the offering. Lord, as we take the offering today, we first want to thank you because everything is yours. You've entrusted to us a portion, a talent, two talents, five talents, however many talents, Lord. We give not under compulsion. We give freely and joyfully. And we ask your blessing on this that's given and your blessing on that that stays. We ask your conviction to spend it the way you want it spent. Thank you, Lord. And I guess one last thing, Lord, that as a church, as your church, as a group of believers, as, as a united body of people, we stand against this evil that's going on in this world that's hurting these people that are being actually taken as slaves. That, that one man would consider another man property, Lord, is so evil. So we stand with you, Lord, in opposition to this evil. We pray that every person who would be so influenced by Satan that they would consider another person their property or for profit. Lord, we ask that they would come to repentance. We ask that they would see the light of Jesus, that they would get saved and born again and come into your kingdom and they would be uh, a vessel for your glory and no longer for evil, that all of the cards be taken out of Satan's hand. And for every person that's been violated in such a horrible way, Lord, we ask for deliverance for them. We ask that the torment that's in their minds, the lies, Lord, that they would understand that they are no one's property but yours, and that you're the good father, and that you can deliver them from the pains and the hurts and and all the things that have come to try to hurt them, Lord. Lord, We stand with you for them, Lord Jesus. We ask every one of them be saved, Lord. We'll come to a saving knowledge of you so that your spirit can come inside there and start to do your beautiful work. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.